Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast on today, November the 15th. Every week this podcast will bring you a slice of current affairs you might find engaging and informative. We look at the big stories of the week and we also hope to delve into some of the off-agenda stories that we featured in the Irish Examiner. Now, two stories that have dominated the news agenda over the last week and even more are the fallout from the sentencing of two boys in the murder of schoolgirl Anna Creegel and matters around immigration, particularly in the political arena. To discuss these, I'm joined by Irish Examiner, columnist and broadcaster Alison O'Connor, who is also the co-author of a new book entitled It's a Yes, How Together for Yes Repealed the Eight and Transformed Irish Society. Alison has written this book about what was a major historical event with the directors of the Together for Yes campaign, Grania Griffin, Orla O'Connor and Alva Smith. Alison, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mick. We might just start with the immigration issue. Earlier this week in the Dáil, independent TD Noel Grealish made a contribution that was met with a storm of reaction. Uh, It related to uh, immigration and the matter of remittances. We might just have a listen to that now. Taoiseach, I want to bring to your attention the amount of money that has been transferred out of Ireland in personal remittances. Over the past eight years alone, over €10 billion has left this country by way of personal transfers. This is a staggering amount of money. The top five countries where money was transferred to over the past eight years include $843 million to Lithuania, $1 billion to France, and the top three countries, $1.54 billion to Poland, $2.7 billion to the United Kingdom, and $3.54 billion was sent to Nigeria. Alison, um, as I say, that came completely out of the blue, and I think a lot of people are of the opinion that it was very much designed to... Um, throw across a particular line? Well, I suppose I've heard various people say since since Noel Grealish stood and said that in the doll, and even his remarks of, um, I think, a few months ago now, where we referred to people coming from Africa as spongers and that it's not that we can't characterise him as racist. And I've also heard, we'll say, um, his independent colleague, like Danny Healy Way, I've heard him, I think, Matty McGrath, I've heard Senator Gerard Crockwell, and I've heard that it's not fair to call him racist. And I'm just wondering, those people who say that, what to them is racism? You know, how high how high or low is is their bar? And um, the other thing is, I suppose, is Noel Grealish comes in, he says things like that, then he disappears. He has no, the, in terms of the courage of his conviction, or showing any, um, to me, it's an absolute political cowardice. He makes those remarks and, and then he dis- disappears. He gives no explanation, even in terms of getting the figures so disastrously wrong in terms of uh, the difference between 17 million and billions that he claims has gone back to Nigeria over the last, uh, I think, over an, an eight-year period. He took, he took, just to put it in context, mm. he took a figure from the World Bank, which is an awful lot of caveats to it yeah. and is based on stuff, for instance, like uh, GDP. And we already know there are yeah. issues about Ireland's GDP. GDP is inflated. And he used that despite the fact 
that a number of weeks previously, following a question, he had obtained himself information from the Central Statistics Office that put this figure at 17 million as opposed to the three and a half billion or whatever he said. That's pretty selective. And it's also to progress from his first remarks, which were made at a meeting in Uthrard, if I'm remembering correctly, to this. It's a very deliberate uh, and very sort of strategic. You'd wonder even what put him in the way of thinking about remittances. Uh, it's not necessarily that that obvious a thing. And we have heard a lot of, I'm, I, you know, he may well have come up with it himself, but we've also heard a lot of us, there's a, loads of it available on the internet, advice on, you know, right-wing agendas and how to, prog- to, how to progress these issues. And I guess it really is, and it's very depressing, the notion that we are going to see a lot of this, I think, in the, in the general election campaign. I was actually in Galway myself yesterday. Uh, a number of the people I spoke to were just absolutely mortified um, by it. Um, he, he himself would have appeared to be in no electoral difficulty in terms of the next general election. He may have had difficulties in the past and when he was first elected, but it certainly wasn't done out of a pragmatic or strategic manner from, from, from what I see looking at that constituency. And that you then wonder, like, just why? What, what's the compulsion to pick on this particular race of people uh, to make remarks like that, I think that's so debase our 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 public life, basically. And it, to me, it also showed actually listening uh, listening to the doll. I think it was on Tuesday. The value of Ruth Coppinger, actually, who stood up and made such a strong remark, and who also is so strong for me as a woman. She's so strong also on gender issues. And uh, I think she's a really valuable addition uh, in the Dáil Chamber. I mean, it, to be fair, the Taoiseach was also very strong in it. I've heard Pascal Donoghue. Um, and then you have this issue of uh, of whether Noel Grealish should, whether they should have to continue supporting the government. But it's part of where we're at politically now, isn't it? That it's always confidence and supply isn't flitters. We're all just waiting for an election. And it's, you know, that element of it just kind of seems neither neither here nor there. And you you, you mentioned about the, the, the political element of it. And I suppose a lot of people, as you said, there are wondering whether this is going to become an issue in the next general election. But just in relation to that, I think certainly at this point, it would be safe to say that the political parties uh, and those representing them are, they appear at the moment to be determined that in terms of their candidates, it won't be an issue. But, as we know, we have a very high percentage of independent Mm. candidates. So are we going to have a scenario whereby you have um, those representing parties who won't go near this issue under strict instructions from headquarters Mm. and those who are independents possibly exploiting it? Oh, I mean, I think absolutely. And I think that it's it's that whole sort of that crowd above in Dublin um, vibe. Uh, and they won't be telling us. And I heard Danny Healy Ray also bringing into it in his it was, and it was more of that sort of um, we won't be told by by ye crowd above in the capital. He brought in the whole abortion issue, um, and managed to marry and managed to marry the two. And I just wonder, even the people maybe that to whom these sort of remarks appeal, um, you look at the presidential election, and it was travellers. Uh, who were under attack. That's come up again this week with uh, Lorraine Clifford Lee, Emer Higgins, Culture Minister Josepha Madigan has also been brought in. Um, now it's, um, you know, people from Africa. Uh, where do you go next? Is it sort of, is it Muslims? Would it then be Jewish people? You know, have we thought about that? Do Are we looking at what's happening in the UK about the English nationalism over there? How I've seen frequently on social media 
uh, Irish people saying now that people have saying, you know, they hear an Irish accent is heard and that they have, you know, heard been, been the subject of really horrible, uh, horrible remarks. We it's almost cliche to say it. We were those people for so long, emigrating, sending money back home. I mean, the irony is just extraordinary. It is. No, having said that, there's a tradition. I know for years ago, I spent time in the States in terms of the Irish in America. They were unfortunate. Elements of them were unfortunately more racist than perhaps other ethnic groups on the basis, apparently, that because they were at the lowest rung mm. of the ladder once they stepped up, they, they, they hit down on the next one. But that's, that, that's a separate issue. Yeah, I agree issue. with I experience that myself Yeah, as well. I mean, so visitor, the, yeah. there's an element. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the other thing, though, is, Alison, and this has been suggested, I think, by a number of politicians, there's a sense that in some quarters there is a change of mood out there. Fortunately, in this country, while we've seen the likes of immigration and that being major issues in other countries and being used... Uh, in a dog whistle way, in 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 a manner purely for expediency, uh, we've managed to avoid that here. But some people are suggesting that there's a bit of a change out there in terms of tolerance, in terms of being the Ireland of the welcome, than was the case up until now. Well, I suppose it was a mystery in a way up until now that we didn't. And even when you look at what's happening in uh, America with Trump, what's happening in the UK, and now particularly with Boris Johnson the coarsening of political language, the sort of the gaslighting, um, p- people being told things uh, and, you know, them not meaning what they're supposed to mean and you kind of don't know which end is up. So in a way, we were the meat in that sandwich. So in a way, it was remarkable that we that we didn't. And I still think, actually, there is a hell of a lot of people out there uh, that uh, think these remarks are appalling and don't want them. And But they're not the people who will text in to the radio stations or maybe put, you know, comments after articles because they're not motivated to do it. So I suppose we can't, there is an element too of you can't just throw up your hands and say, oh my God, we're going down the same route. I don't think we are. But I think that if we have enough political leadership, and I think that's really important, um, and uh, that the there is a very tight uh, rein kept on this during the general election. As you, as we said earlier, there are certain uh, independent uh, politicians that you have no control over. Um, they are going to play to a certain gallery. But I really hope that we are not. We haven't got to that stage that we've seen that we've seen in other countries. Yeah, I mean, there's been suggestions. For example, just a couple of areas, the direct provision centres. Mm. Now we, we we've seen what has happened there. One feature of that that I think hasn't been commented on much is that um, a lot of the direct provision centres on the east coast in the Greater Dublin area, where there were some, they're no longer functioning for the simple reason that the owners involved perceive that in terms of um, their investment or whatever, that they're far better off to sell it and it'll be built for apartments, etc., mm-hmm. that type of thing. As a result, they've moved further up. All of these incidents were in the West Bard one in Tipperary. So is there, I wonder, an element there that... Uh, this sort of thing is feeding into this notion in some areas of being left behind, of that, again, them up in Dublin are mm. throwing things down here, that type of thing. I wonder, and another place where people detected something was in the beef protests. Now, whether or not, what fed into that, whether or not it was an issue that you had an awful lot of non-nationals working in the meat industry, a very low-paid yeah. industry and people working savage hours but you, you, you've that scenario whereby perhaps and some people have suggested it some of those who were protesting wanted to perceive this in a particular way and you just wonder whether if there is something like that changing 
we need to put a hammer on it. Need to, do you know what I mean? That there's, there's a oh, sense no, I, of something's I, look, different. I completely out there. agree with you. And you can, you know, you can sit here and you know quote figures and say that uh, you know rural Ireland is uh, is in a, in a lot of cases doing very well. Thank you very much. And that actually emigration has always happened, and that young people who live in rural areas will always want to emigrate. Uh, you know, to to get a taste of the world or to experience city life, or that they've gone to college and um, and they like what they what they see, in terms of living somewhere where there where there's far more convenience. I suppose expectations are far higher now, and I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm originally from uh, from the country myself, uh, so it isn't a case of living in the city. But I mean, you do make a decision, um, you know, to live where you live. And you um, you get the benefits of that. I mean, I often envy when I'm down in West Cork and there on holidays or whatever, I often envy what is on offer there and the, the, the sort of pace of life and the beauty and that things are not as expensive as they are in the city. So I guess it's more, it is about us being, it's about being kind of honest with yourself as well. And that if you are, for instance, I mean, beef farmers have a terrible time. You know, it's really hard to earn a crust. And, to try and if you're having a terrible yeah. time, one instinct yeah. is to hit the exactly. blame but someone, the other, yeah. that kind of the, terrible and stuff. And if you don't know the other, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, have you? We've heard, we've also heard so many cases in the last few weeks. I'm so glad to say of people who have taken time to know the other, and they have extraordinarily positive experiences to relate, and that we just need to really just to sit down and remind ourselves of how over generations and decades. Uh, we as a race needed help from other countries and from other people and that now people need help from us. Absolutely. And on, on one light note, if I could strike it, there's a lovely yarn there about um, in Baladrine, I think a lot of um, people who were t- taken out of Syria in the most horrific circumstances there and who have refugee status settled there. And one individual, and very, like all immigrants, mad for work and, and very uh, inventive, set up a, a, a hackney cab company. And he had a brilliant name for it. He called it Abdullah Walia. I know, I think, saw that. I it really I was. was. It really, <laughs> and I mean, you know what? I bet the people in Balahadreen are really fond of Oh, absolutely. Man. Do you know but, what I mean? Because the they know this him, is he the takes experience them home. Anywhere. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah. there's, a, there's a fear of the, the the other, the outsider, the unknown. Yeah. And nearly in all instances, once people have established something yeah. there, they, they, they integrate. And we've seen this right around and the country. let people, I suppose, you know, let people be wise to, to manipulation. That there's an awful lot of that going on. So I just wonder to about that. Kind of do, do you think that this element, and that you, they're out there in cyberspace, and I, I've researched some of it and I've seen some horrific stuff. They're quite obviously yeah. racist, nationalist in the, in the, the worst kind of way. Yeah. And we saw in some of these areas where they went in and they tried to make an impact. I wonder, though, whether they're actually really making that much of an impact. No, I mean, look, it has to. I'm not naive enough to think that this is it's coming from nowhere and that they're going in and, and, and fermenting it. Not that at all. But I think it could be adding an extra 20 percent, you know, that's yeah. really tipping it over and, uh, you know, making it that just that real kind of nasty sense to it. You know, one other thing in that vein, and that was comes a few weeks ago and there was some controversy about it, but I, I don't know. Leo Varadkar made a mention mm. when there was this issue um, about the direct provision centres that a huge part of the increase is down to two nationalities from Georgia and Albania, both of which are officially deemed as safe countries. Mm. Now, I suppose there's two ways of looking at that. One way is if 
people are coming from safe countries and they're coming into the ref- the asylum seeker um, system, yes, they're inflating it. Quite possibly, they're also bringing a certain discredit to it because all those who are coming from unsafe countries then are, are, are get, get looped into that in, in some minds. The other issue with it, though, is these people, this term economic migrant has become something of a term of abuse. Economic migrant is what generations of this country were, but we had the opportunity to go somewhere and try and make it. Those opportunities to people in poor countries now are not there. Mm. So the only chance they have to do anything is to enter a Mm. system like that. I suppose when I heard those remarks instinctively, I didn't like them. But if you reflect on it, you know, the Taoiseach is in a very difficult position here. And um, I suppose none more so for the fact that his own father is Indian and came to live. You know, I'm sure he's very aware of that. Um, But he's a very delicate balance now, doesn't he? To try and bring people along to make him that people feel that he's aware of their concerns, uh, but yet not to uh, not to set a match to the to the whole thing. So my answer unsatisfactorily for you, Mick, (laughs) is that. I don't really know. You know, I'd have it's hard to, to see. Know. It's, it's hard to it know. Is. It's, it's hard no to know at this yeah. at this point uh, exactly what is the. But one of the things that's really disturbed me during the week um, is how with this issue, and it's more we'll probably go on and talk to about it in terms of the Lorraine Clifford Lee and the the traveller issue. How now, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are mudslinging with this issue, and you know. You, you know, you said that and she said that and that's worse and you didn't explain it and you didn't apologise. And actually, that does the issue. Absolutely. It, again, it's getting caught up in this whole general election thing. Uh, and they're so cranky with each other and trying to get the upper hand constantly. But it's done the issue itself. No good at all. Very true, I think. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and and that hopefully that's not a slippery slope either yeah. in terms of the, the, the political discourse. Just to turn to the other um, issue I mentioned at the top of the programme, that was the fallout from the sentencing of the two boys in the Anna Creagel case. Mm. Alison, you had what... No, I know I'm biased, being from the Irish Examiner myself, but I think you've written a column this morning that every parent, at very least, not to mind anybody who's interested in um, children in, in, in the whole area, should read. And in it, you're suggesting that uh, one of the deficits we have in modern society is not having a serious and in some ways explicit conversation mm. with our teenage children about sex. Yeah, I mean, look, it no more than that we've had traditions of, of um, you know, immigration and that uh, in this area, we have a long tradition of discomfort in talking about these kind of issues. And that's the legacy of the Catholic Church. And, and all of that. And um, and I know, even though I'm I'm fully behind this, I know as a parent and I'm about to enter into this whole sort of area in those years, it's not easy at all. Um, but I actually think that it's, it, to my mind now, not just following the dreadful Anna, Anna Creagel case, but just generally, I think it borders on criminal for parents of boys and girls not to speak to them, um, particularly as they're going into secondary school. And not to, if they have a mobile phone, not to monitor that phone and not for the child to know that that phone is going to be monitored. And that it's, I mean, it is the equivalent of sending your child out to play with the traffic, you know, on a very busy road with with articulated lorries as far as I'm concerned. And I mean, I think, I suppose I'm, as the mother of daughters, I'm I'm biased um, in in that way. But I mean, I I also think of maybe a 10-year-old boy 
who gets access to a phone and starts looking at porn and sees the type of, I mean, there's all sorts of porn out of there, but in the vast majority of it, it is a, a, a woman, a man and a woman, where the man is in a dominant position, where he's abusing the woman, um, sometimes in the most horrible manner, and where she's being seen to like it and ask for more of that sort of behaviour. She's also sort of generally, um, you know, doesn't represent the everyday woman you see in the street uh, in terms of uh, she's no body hair, generally it could be fake breasts, whatever. Um, and that how terrifying that sight must be for a 10 year old who's thinking, who may have heard about sex or what it is and thinks, God, this is the way I'm going to, this is how it's done. This is how I'm going to have to behave. And that then lays down, if nobody else has talked to that child about sex, that lays down the foundation for their, because pornography is, is what it does is it switches a button in us in terms of desire and that it will do that and that that it will, it lays down a foundation that this is how my sexual desire will be, will be switched on. And then the, the more pornography that child watches, the more the algorithms turn up harder porn, you go on, it, it, it goes on. And then we'll say, for instance, this teenage boy uh, comes across a girl, is having a relationship um, and that's what, and that's what's expected. And if that's a girl that nobody has spoken to and who knows from, maybe has picked up from her peers, my job here is to please this boy, you know, and you go, you go from there. You know, I just think that is an appalling way to treat our children. And we can't pretend, even if you, I heard recently of a father who was going around saying, oh, well, look, my Jimmy, um, I have every uh, thing on their phone, you know, blockage on the phone. He can't watch it. He's bloody watching it on everyone else's phone. So, I mean, you have, regardless, even if your child has no smartphone, I believe you have to have. And you start it from when they're very young. It's age appropriate to if they don't want to kiss, you know, Auntie Mary or Uncle Bob or give them a hug, they don't have to. Or if they don't, if they're if you're taking their photograph even. And I mean, that's I know that sounds really over the top. But think of your 15 year old and her boyfriend saying, I want, you know, a, a picture of your breasts. Uh, in, you know, for my phone or send, you know, where if you have a child who knows about, you know, consent from an early from an early age, uh, they will think hard and fast about whether. And my final thing on this is the dick pics. I mean, the notion that young girls now on a daily basis are getting unsolicited pictures. Of, is I that mean, a common thing? I mean, to my mind now, and I'm showing my age here. Even if I was madly in love with you, Mick, I'm sorry. <laughs> the notion of getting a picture of your penis on my phone you know, we won't go it, there. We won't, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, and I to think that there could be a young boy up in his bedroom sending pictures like that to a girl, you know, who lives in the neighborhood and his parents haven't been arsed talking to him or monitoring it or having a kind of a two way conversation with them. The enormity of what kids are exposed to. I mean, you're talking about parents and we were both parents kids in that Similar realm. Ages. Yeah, and uh, but the enormity of it to the extent that and, and, and that difficult conversation you're talking about, that if you put it in context, like I know going back to my own teenage years, mm. you know, all sex and all this was of course a mystery completely mm. and once in every six months or a year somebody in school gets their hands on a dirty mm-hmm. mag and it's mm. passed around and you're presented with this fantasy thing and it's, it's yeah, a yeah. fleeting yeah. thing, you know, and, and, and that's, that was the reality of yeah. when growing up. These days, they're presented mm. not just a, a, a bunch of them standing there for five minutes at break time, but whenever they want, at school, at home, everything. And it's out there completely. 
What? It's become totally desensitized. That's the whole thing. What yeah, it does yeah. to minds, what it yeah, does to young yeah. minds. And as you say, it presents this image of what sex is supposed to be. See, it, yeah. It's frightening stuff. My other t- t- take on it in terms of um, of girls as well is like traditionally, girls being told your virginity is your prize. Okay, and hang on to it for as long as you can. What does that mean for all the other sexual encounters that come before that? And that as well as being told that it's all masked in... Um, talk of danger, talk of pregnancy um, and don't you come home here pregnant. Now, some of it, I mean, obviously nobody wants their teenage daughter to become to become pregnant. And there are, as we've seen in the last few weeks, a lot, a lot of dangers out there for young girls. But wouldn't it, to my mind, be far and admittedly challenging for a parent to say this, but far more empowering to say it to your daughter. If you have sexual relations with someone, you know, Make sure you get pleasure out of it. If some guy says to you, would you give me a blowjob around the corner? Your answer should be, and what will be in it for me? Yeah. You know, and yeah, I, mean, yeah. it, I think it makes it far. It, it, again, it's grown it's, up. It's, 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 yeah. it's grown up. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, this has come up in the Rockless committees. Yeah, well, this came actually. I mean, I would first have been delighted to see this at the Citizens Assembly when it considered the Eighth Amendment and then subsequently the the Oireachtas Committee that considered it. Because obviously, if I mean, this is the irony of people who are uh, against abortion, who would also be against giving kids proper sex education that would stop them getting pregnant and then you wouldn't have as many abortions. And, the you know, the figures show that with proper education and contraception and all of that, the numbers are, are reduced. So following on from those two things, the Oireachtas Education Committee looked at our sex education. Now, I mean, it's extraordinary to think that um, that was last revised in 1999. I mean, talk about a different landscape. um, In every way. In every single way. And that we didn't have um, at that point. There were, I mean, I think I did. I remember uh, I worked in the Irish Times at the time. And there was, you'd be safe. if you were sent off to cover something down the country, you'd be given this mobile phone that was like a brick. The notion that you could look up stuff on it, you know. That's no part where the country was yeah. itself in terms so of... So, yeah. yeah, the program, the, the, the report, the report, which is very good, actually, from the committee, it was headed by Fiona Lachlan, the Fianna Fáil Kildare TD. And it explains that that existing uh, SPHE uh, programme uh, doesn't deal with it all. The internet, social media, mobile phones are pornography. And it doesn't, it doesn't, talks about young people's lived experience. Now, I don't know how my dearly departed father-in-law would feel about being drawn into this conversation, but it reminds me of a phrase he used to have in terms of this programme and it, it being nearly 20 years old, where he would say, it's about as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike. You know, I mean, it's how children could still be taught this. In some cases in primary schools, the Stay Safe programme isn't taught, as we know still in some instances in secondary schools. Some outside groups can come in. Now, if somebody told me, that, for instance, that Richie Sadler was coming in, uh, I'd be thrilled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The psychologist who does great stuff. He does. But equally, you still have the the Catholic groups coming in that talk about abstinence and uh, and all of that, which I think is 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 pretty useless. So basically, the committee are looking for, um, you know, sort of things that are that are age appropriate. You know, but that they're basically will fit with with the reality of what today's children are are um, are facing into. And I don't. How could you? How could you argue with that? Needless to say, there have been arguments. There's, and Fiona Lachlan's got abuse. For she her, has, and there's leaflets being put around uh, in her constituency um, about her, trying to target her, and again at a very vulnerable time coming up to a coming up to a, to an election. Um, but 
and what's being said is that uh, children as young as four are going to be taught about uh, about masturbation. Now, I don't know how many four-year-olds you know at the moment, but it's my experience of four-year-olds, be they boys or girls, that they love nothing better than to discover their bodies. And you walk in and they're uh, having a right old fiddle and that's what kids do and isn't it great and they're discovering themselves. And you might say to them, listen, you know, better to do that in the privacy of whatever. Um, whether, I don't know technically whether they're young enough to feel, I don't think they are, but I think sexual feelings, I think they're just, just discovering. But I mean, so it's it's just the most ridiculous level of scaremongering. It's not based on health, it's not based on sexuality. It's, it's not, based but, no, but I mean, saying that, that that's what's going to come out yeah. of it. And the government hasn't yet decided what they're going to do. And I mean, we ha- in terms of how it's going to be, I mean, I think Richard Bruton, um, when he was Minister for Education, was very, very positive on this. I actually am unfamiliar with what, what sort of Joe McHugh has to has to say about it. Um, but it just, it has to, it has to happen. It does, really. but just come back just for a minute to the, 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 the parental element to it yeah. and the point you make about having that conversation and, and having a proper conversation. Yeah. Some parents, and mm. <laughs> probably for just justify not having it, mm. will suggest, what difference is that going to make in a world whereby all of that stuff is just proliferates throughout yeah. online telephones. Oh, and I completely identify with that as a parent. You feel, you really feel kind of helpless about it. You can do and you can feel that even if you have various sort of apps and things that you use to try and keep an eye, you always feel one step behind. You know, you're looking at some sort of new app that you're being asked, can it be downloaded? And you're not familiar with it. And even if you even if you agree to download it and you're trying to look at it a few days later, you don't even know how the bloody thing works, you know. Exactly so you're not, enough. you don't know whether exactly. it's been a good or a, a good or a bad decision. But Josepha Madigan, the culture minister, had a piece in The Independent this week. She wrote a piece where she was saying, and I agreed with an awful lot of what she said, that it was to do with parents and schools. And it absolutely is. Now, I thought I think she copped out a little bit, you know, by not bringing in more of what the government could do or, or the, the social media uh, providers or what governments can do to social media providers to try and put pressure. But if your child is looking at this and I think all of us can assume from what we know, from all the information that sooner or later, our children are going to be looking at it. Um, isn't it better that you've painted a picture for your child to say, um, this is, this does not reflect real life. This is the fairy tale fantasy of sex. Absolutely. And you will. And I mean, there's no point also, I think that there's no point in saying that to them and not also acknowledging to them, you'll be turned on by this. That's what it's meant to do. You yeah. know, so don't feel ashamed or embarrassed of that. And uh, and even explaining to them that if you keep if you keep watching it and if a habit develops, it's actually going to affect your sex life and later. You know, and that you need to have respect in this instance for boys. You need to have respect for girls, um, you know, in in possible encounters that you. Absolutely. And of course, one of the huge things there is when you're that age, there is no long term. Well, well, I mean, no, 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 Well, I mean, you try. I mean, you have to. Yeah, I mean, of course. The the point is you have to make the effort one way or the other. And teenagers automatically think their parents are old fogies. Exactly. There's no, and I mean, there's the other thing about the internet can be a force for good. There is any amount of advice on the internet about how you can talk to your children. Um... About it's like telling them to, eat, like I, telling them to eat broccoli. Though, well, I was at a con- actually I was at a conference in Cork last week, organised by the Cork City Partnership. About uh, it was to do with equality and safety, women, 
And, and um, there was they showed this fantastic um, video. You find it on YouTube. It's some police force in the UK and it's to do with consent. And it's all centred around offering someone a cup of tea. And it's just brilliant. And it's a, it's it's actually, if anyone wants to try and teach teen, teenagers about, I met a teacher afterwards, secondary school teacher who was in the audience and she said, I will be showing that, that to my class. Yeah, and I say, as I say, I couldn't recommend highly enough Alison's column today because it is an eye-opener, particularly for any parent. Alison, just before we go, as events in the last 24 hours, really, uh, a tale of two politicians, uh, Maria Bailey and Lorraine Clifford Lee, last night, Maria Bailey was effectively deselected from Fine Gael's, um candidates for the forthcoming general election on the basis of the fallout from the personal injuries action she took for falling off a swing and everything that resulted from that. Today, Lorraine Clifford Lee, she was on the radio making um, about as an abject an apology as one can imagine for tweets she made that sounded very derogatory towards travellers in particular. She made these tweets, they're gone back about eight years. Um, I just think it's interesting to... to the contrasting fortunes. It looks like Lorraine Clifford Lee and the way she has handled things has got past it, whereas Maria Bailey and the way she handled things, she uh, even if she handled it after the initial issue arose about the personal injury claim, you wonder, um, would she still be uh, on the Fine Gael ticket? Yeah, I mean, these two, these could be used as case studies for political PR classes in, in years to come. I mean, Lorraine Clifford Lee gave an apology on Morning Ireland. Uh, that is a new era Finna fall apology. I mean, we've all become so used to the if I offended anyone <laughs> yeah, and yeah. anyone who was offended, well, then so convoluted and so sort of third party removed. I'm sorry for from, your offence. I'm sorry for <laughs> your, exactly. It was absolutely not that. And uh, she sounded genuinely sorry. Because, um, I mean, I was genuinely shocked when I saw when I saw those tweets, I have to say, and particularly for someone who is a, a spokesperson on, on equality. Um, but I thought it sounded very genuine and um, there's an element of, uh, you know, we live in a, in a time now where things are very black and white and there isn't more, more shades of grey. We're talking a lot about the internet and that's the internet is responsible and social media for that as well. So I suspect Lorraine Clifford Lee um, will have survived this episode and I think she did so with some dignity this morning. And as you say, you contrast that with Maria Bailey uh, and I think it was a in the minds of the public, a far bigger issue um, uh, came out all guns, all, I mean, I was going to say all guns blazing. I mean, it was machine guns blazing <laughs> how, she, how she came out. Uh, and it has been a disaster for her. Now, I have actually an awful lot of sympathy for Maria Bailey at this point in that it will live on, uh, what ha- what was said about her will live on online for generations. Um, her, her punishment for that crime uh, has been absolutely enormous and I believe she has suffered hugely and disproportionately But she could have handled this it point. better Oh look without a doubt she could have handled it better and I think look I think that her cons- local constituency organisation I can understand why they did what they did I can understand why Fine Gael has done what they did uh, there's a, an election coming up uh, every seat counts yeah, politics in the modern era. Alison, Alison O'Connor, thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, that's it, folks. I'd like to thank producer Declan Conlon and engineer JJ Vernon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at, at mickcliff. See you again. <laughs>